This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents. Fubar Radio presents politics on Fubar. Good afternoon and welcome to Politics on FUBAR. I'm Asa Bennett. Now, the last time we were speaking together, it was just before the election. You know, who knows what may happen? Would the young people turn out and vote? So sort of, well, how much effect would this have? Uh, my gosh, we have many results to pour over then. But the one thing that stands out among the various elections, sort of results and seats and surprises, is what happened in Kensington, which, you know, during the election night, for example, of course, there was a recount after recount. And then Labour sort of snatched it, a seat that was a Conservative for many years previously, Malcolm Rifkin, sort of Victoria Borick, sort of or MPs previously, and now it's Emma Jane Code as the current MP. And uh, obviously that was one of Labour's surprises. And then Kensington, it needs to be said, is a very sort of particular constituency. People very easily sort of misunderstand it because they think, uh, they hear that, and then they attach to, Ken- attach to it. Kensington and Chelsea, which is the borough. And obviously it's one of the richest boroughs, uh, sort of councils even uh, you know, around, in, in the country even. And so it's different. Different though, so the Chelsea is a different constituency. It's so much more richer. It's it's what's famous for sort of things like the King's Road. There's a you know you name it, all sorts of swish sort of um, oligarchs, Abramovich's. You uh, they're all there. Whereas Kensington is much more sort of impoverished. It's it's much more. Uh, it, it's got not got that sort of ultra wealth to it. And so we saw this really in sort of stark focus in the sense, uh, given the absolute tragedy of uh, this week, the sort of the, Gren- the fire at uh, Grenwell Tower, uh, Grenfell Tower even, and uh, that's really frowned home the fact that you know the buildings within Kensington it is you know a symbol of this kind of tale of two cities that we have here in London. In that you know some of the you know poorest people in London would live there, and so many of them, countless sort of lives will have been lost obviously you know bodies are still being but counted right now so sort of who knows in a sense what the ultimate toll will be but then at the same point it's that sort of sheer devastation the standards the inquiry that's going to happen here into how it was able to happen it has inevitably had an impact on sort of the world of politics and actually close to home and sort of you know in you know around the community as many people sort of an outpouring of a charitable feeling has happened with people rushing to sort of help there and you know even as sort of celebrities uh, sort of you know Adele Rita Ora came there and even people close to us in, in FUBAR HQ as our fellow presenter and Noel Clark sort of very much was mucking in there and um, sort of helping helping out um, in sort of the fallout of these things. But the thing with Kensington is also that it's a sort of well, for the Grenfell Tower, which I was there this morning reviewing the sort of reviewing the papers on Sky, and it was such a sort of stark experience sort of being in front of this kind of b- black husk of a building that sort of so many lives would have been there, so many sort of happy people sort of, and then yet. How, do, how does one react to it in politics? Sort of, you know, Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May have tr- tried in their various ways, and yet it's still sort of, they've had vastly different experiences. Theresa May, she uh, was not on, she wasn't known to be filmed naturally. She sort of was a long lens camera shots we had of her sort of looking around, talking to the emergency services, and not speaking to the residents there who'd suffered these things, you know, and yet sort of meanwhile, her, her sort of ministers were kind of shirking questions in the meantime. Sort of Gavin Barwell, her chief aide, who was until recently, Recently, housing minister, you know, he was refusing to answer why, for example, answers to claims that he may have not taken quite so seriously these sort of reports about having to upgrade on fire safety and sort of tower blocks. And of course, you know, it, it's, it's easy to sort of isolate this sort of what, your town. Obviously, it's, it's a horrific incident. But then, um, naturally, many people will be concerned because you know, millions will live in tower blocks like this, and millions will wonder sort of you know whether they are sort of living in effective you know sort of death traps. So as a result, there was sort of shoddy standards, see, things that seemingly done the cheaper safety standards will go. 
and all the while it's in some community where you know people are sort of just a few roads down you can find houses that are sort of worth three million pounds and over and so and yet there there sort of it's just a massive huge sort of your tablet with so many people having to live, to live on top of each other around 600 have to live on top of each other and so you know sort of jeremy corbyn for example he was not afraid to sort of get stuck in to meet them to sort of embrace some of the residents who've survived and sort of to share their pain share their experiences and to listen to them which is why in many ways he's re- has received deserved plaudits whereas theresa may seemed sort of during the election she seemed uh, afraid to ask answer questions and in a sense she's lived down to this reputation as someone who's seems to be frit in that way and not really trying to sort of face up to people and i think the government's realized this today because that's why sajid javid the community secretary he's now sort of been rushing over today to make sure to see the residents the survivors and theresa may has been spotted thankfully at the end you know visiting sort of you know victims in hospital she's been talking to the other side she's been reaching out so you know all kudos to her there, her there in the end and so you know, politics has been sh- shaken by this. And you know, perhaps the reason why particularly has got such attention as well is because the government and politics is in a bit of a standstill in that sort of Theresa May. You know, she was the woman who was about to, you know, last week, you think, uh, have a sort of commanding majority. It's so huge it would be embarrassing and Jeremy Corbyn would be obliterated and Labour would be cast asunder, routed before it. And yet now she's have, she had to scrabble in. You know, she'll, look, let's, let's acknowledge it. She won the most seats. The Conservatives did win the most seats. And so, obviously, but she's still discrabbling, though, with the help, it, one assumes, of the Democratic Unionist Party from Northern Ireland. She declared last Friday that she would do this with their help. And yet, it seems a no deal has yet been done, although it may well be, you know, complete nearing its end. We shall see. And so, it's a funny old state of affairs in politics, given that sort of situation. And sort of, even with, with the government currently on the run due to sort of yeah, reacting how to sort of deal, help the people of you know, the Grenfell Tower and you know, many other people who live in similar standards of accommodation. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the one thing that has blindsided the, sort of the Tory campaign is the impact of young people and you know, how they have voted, what impact they've had on this election in that they seem to have you know, surprised by actually turning out in great numbers. You know, YouGov puts it at 57% sort of among 18 to 24s. There was a number of about 72% going on the internet after the election, but it wasn't quite as accurate. But anyway, nonetheless, there was a, a sort of above average turnout. So you know, congratulations to those who voted. And so in the meantime, we'll be discussing further the impact that this has had, the aftermath of the election, and so much more for this, series, for this show. And so I, I can say to you that we will have an extended interview with Shadow Secretary of State for Defence, Naya Griffith, and then also a debate with this week's question being, how much did the youth vote really count in the election, and to what extent will future policy be influenced by this younger, more democratically engaged electorate? Well, obviously, as we go through the show, if you uh, want to ask any questions or find out anything, feel free to sort of tweet and Fubar Radio or email politics at fubarradio.com. And in the meantime, coming up next, I'll be speaking to Rob Double, uh, various of interesting journalists uh, from Tip TV Politics. But first, let us remind ourselves of everything that has happened since last Thursday's general election. I have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, and I will now form a government. Theresa May called this election to get a bigger majority and to strengthen her position in Brexit negotiations. She now has 13 MPs less than she did before. She has no overall majority and will now have to rely on Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party to govern the House of Commons. This is what she had to say about her plans last Friday. This government will guide the country through the crucial Brexit talks and deliver on the will of the British people 
by taking the United Kingdom out of the European Union. It will work to keep our nation safe and secure by delivering the change that I set out following the appalling attacks in Manchester and London, cracking down on the ideology of Islamist extremism and all those who support it, and giving the police and the authorities the powers they need to keep our country safe. The government I lead will put fairness and opportunity at the heart of everything we do, so that we will fulfil the promise of Brexit together. What the country needs more than ever is certainty, and having secured the largest number of votes and the greatest number of seats in the general election, it is clear that only the Conservative and Unionist Party has the legitimacy and ability to provide that certainty by commanding a majority in the House of Commons. Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party have gained 30 extra seats since the general election in 2015 and have secured 40% of all votes. Corbyn has been calling for Theresa May to resign. If there is a message from tonight's result is, is this. The Prime Minister called the election because she wanted a mandate. Well, the mandate she's got is lost Conservative seats, lost votes, lost support and lost confidence. I would have thought that's enough to go, actually, and make way for a government that will be truly representative of all of the people of this country. Liberal Democrats have gained four seats but have also suffered a few losses, including Nick Clegg, former leader of the Liberal Democrats. Just this week, new leader Tim Farron resigned to remain a faithful Christian. I seem to have been the subject of suspicion because of what I believe and who my faith is in. In which case we are kidding ourselves if we think we yet live in a tolerant liberal society. And that's why I have chosen to step down as leader of the Liberal Democrats. Theresa May has already held talks with the DUP this week about a deal to support her minority Conservative government. The discussions have been heavily criticised because of the DUP's illiberal positions on abortion and gay rights. It has since emerged that the deal is not expected to be confirmed before next week. The Queen's speech, which sets out the government's priorities, is scheduled to take place next Wednesday. Good afternoon and welcome back to uh, Politics on FUBAR. And I'm Asa Bennett and it is my pleasure to welcome, as we go through the week, the aftermath of the election, Robert Double of Tip TV Politics. Hello. Hello, Asa. Now, sort of, so what stories have really leapt out for you uh, then today? Well... Pretty much all the news is still dominated by what's going on in uh, Grenville Tower. Mm. Um, so it's now at the stage where, you know, it's happened, it's the reaction, it's the sort of digesting what actually has happened. And uh, really, a lot of, there's a lot of public mood, palpable public mood about who was responsible for this and ensuring that um, someone is effectively brought to justice as responsible. So the, the death toll now is confirmed at 30. Uh, again, there's been so much speculation about what the actual figure will be. Do you think the Conservatives have really, you know, uh, are they catching the initiative here? Because Corbyn seems to have caught them out yesterday by actually being empathetic and getting well, in there. Well, this leads, well, we've had Andrea Leadsom go and uh, go today, uh, n- notably not Theresa May. Not the again. Prime Minister. The Prime Minister has gone to uh, visit or is going to visit um, people in hospital who, who were victims of this, but this is fundamentally... I think sums up Theresa May's issue is that she is not comfortable, not used, and she doesn't have that initiative when it comes to effectively being that front person, being that leader. You had her, you know, I I have some sympathy to the idea that I don't want to go there and make the story about me Hmm. um, and going there and and flooding the the airwaves with just myself when this should be about the But then the Queen was happy to meet residents. Yeah, well, we're talking about yesterday. So, So yesterday, yeah, I think there was an element of that. But then... 
to not meet victims who just it seemed like someone who was who was running away effectively from having to take responsibility obviously it wasn't her fault it wasn't Sadiq Khan's fault either but Sadiq mm. Khan went he got the flack he got the anger he got the emotion and fundamentally really I think people do expect that from a political leader and so I think she has really um, lost ground on this to Labour and Labour have of course with Jeremy Corbyn going yesterday mm. and speaking to people and being in a very human way allowing the sort of situation to be uncontrolled uh, in terms of what the, you know what happens uh, I think really has has seemed far more effectively like a statesman and like a leader. Mm. I mean, um, do you think with Theresa May the problem was that she was too sort of uh, worried, worried about the media perception? Perhaps she was fretting that someone would shout at her and it would look bad. Well, the oh, line no. was that it was due to security, a security <laughs> concerns. I, I, I find that a very odd reason. Uh, I think that then what came out on Newsnight last night was actually, you know, she wanted at the time of heightened grief and anger, she didn't want to be getting in the way of the emergency services, which is a more reasonable position. But I think, you know, people will look at this and go, you are the leader of the country. People look at you at times of crisis for stability. Hmm. And the very absent nature of her yesterday, yes, she turned up, but she did it in a very quiet way. Hmm. When people are looking for a figure to for calm Hmm. uh, I think possibly uh, has really damaged her I think it could be a real turning point in how people view Theresa May uh, you know past this general election cool. as well. So the people who are being less quiet right now are Labour and that their front bench, you know, Corbyn included, they seem to be saying, you know, come on, resign, resign, you need to do it, get out. Sort well, of. Corbyn's been pressing for that since the since the general election result uh, hmm. results were announced. He's just constantly been saying resign. I don't think that actually... Do you think he's right? I think the British people are probably... She gonna, hasn't won, apparently. Yeah, it's. I think it's a, bit, it's a bit weak from Corbyn. I think it's a little bit of the Labour activist and campaigner coming out in him rather than the Labour leader. Hmm. It's not particularly considered. I don't think it helps him very much saying resign because I think most people be, you know, don't think she should resign necessarily. She did win effectively the election, though not getting the majority. Um, but yeah, certainly Labour have really uh, been very much vocal on this issue. And But you know, you have to say they, they, they haven't been in government for a very long time so there is an element of, well, this wasn't necessarily their responsibility because over the past, what, seven years hmm. housing has been under the control of the Conservatives and the Conservative Lib Dem coalition so they, they have the ability to go and, and, and be able to criticise uh, in a way which the Conservatives wouldn't be able to because they're probably going to get the flack of you're responsible in some way of what's happened. But speaking of resignations, obviously there's been uh, well two since the election of party leaders. It's First been one, madness. Paul Nuttall out of the blocks. You know, UKIP, so you know the astronaut, inventor of the NHS. Paul Nuttall, sort of a <laughs> Mr. Wolf and Mitty. He's gone. Okay, fine. Less said about him, the better in a way. Tim Farron, though, he he claimed that he, he could he wants to spend more time with God. That it was impossible to be Christian. Do you do you agree? I found his his resignation speech absolutely fascinating. And obviously the news has has been dominated by Grenville Tower. But I the, the the speech he gave in which he basically said we're kidding and we, I think we just heard it five minutes ago or whatever hmm. um, you know we are kidding ourselves if we feel we live in a tolerant society very strong words um, you know he didn't say he didn't certainly want to go out in a in a sort of gracious and sort of very you know humble and quiet way he definitely felt that he was a victim of a movement against him which was unfair and I have to say you know I did given his voting record in parliament and given what he did say during the election campaign I felt that there was perhaps an excessive amount of pressure put on him and lines of question put on him when he kind of had resolved the issue. 
Um, but he didn't. No, he didn't. In, he, a, in a way, he took he seven days and then went. Oh no, I don't think it's a sin. This gay sex thing. And then actually went. Oh, well, I mean, I might. Oh, I don't know anymore. I mean, yeah, he was well, this, judging. But people. I think in terms of his parliamentary record, which is of course what most people look at in terms of you know where politicians actually stand. He's, hmm. He said a very very strong record in terms of in terms of equal rights, in terms of equality. And so I think it was. I think it was excessively harsh. I don't think it was unnecessary because hmm. I think it's very important. But I think. I found it there was a there was a weekend I think where he did the media rounds and just that was all he was getting hammered for it was just this line of questioning uh, and I, and it did mean that the the Lib Dems really didn't get an eye in because he was sort of dismissed right at the blocks really because mm. people thought oh he's he seems a bit odd or I don't quite agree with him there's something iffy about him mm. and that was how he was portrayed in the media no no well the, speaking of another liberal perhaps who uh, you know people might think is well Brexiteers would think is a bit old Guy Verhofstadt uh, you know not necessarily a household name um, you know imagine basically uh, he looks like Austin Powers uh, but he's Belgian sort of thing <laughs> so you know he has said that Britain could stay in the EU on worse terms now so Brexit talks begin on Monday and so do you think my god this is you know what's going to happen are we going to remain in the end we're going to does brexit still mean brexit let's tackle oh. the final question the key question uh very very difficult now with the uh, theresa may's majority with the dup uh confidence and supply and with you know a, a certain amount of tory rebellion it's going to be very difficult to push through a very hard brexit hmm. uh, it's going to take in a, a lot of force from theresa may and a lot of very savvy political uh activity but I mean, this isn't surprising from Guy Verhofstadt. He's the EU's EU Parliament's chief negotiator for Brexit. He's a known, very, very pro-European, very pro-integrationist. Uh, he just uh, likes to troll Brexiteers. He then. loves to troll Brexiteers. Him and Nigel Farage have basically been having, you know, a y- years and years long of slagging matches with each other across the EU Parliament's chamber. Mm. Um, it, it, I think it's, it almost is harming, though, because to say you can't go back on Brexit, you know, without being harmed it kind of ruins the incentive of going back from Brexit because if we're still going to be hurt, even if we don't leave, then almost there's an element of, well, we might as well just go through with it then. So mm. I'm not sure whether it's actually a particularly good line, but this is Guy for Hofstadt. So there, there's course. a lot of, you know, it's although, all about the sound bites. Isn't there was a lot of talk. I mean, obviously, and I, I hate to sort of uh, try and drive you towards soundbite territory here, but, you know, <laughs> people talk about hard Brexit, soft Brexit sort of thing. I mean, what sort of Brexit do you think we're going to be having here? Because my favourite idea is a creme brulee Brexit, where basically it looks, it, it looks all nice and hard in the first layer, but really there's compromise. There's softness to it. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of big playing, a lot of big spectacles when it comes to negotiations, big arguments about endless things. I do think it's going to be difficult to justify staying in the customs union Hmm. because it basically defeats the positive case for leaving the European Union on the terms of economics, which is that you can create your own free trade deals, you can go and do business with the world, with the emerging markets. Uh, Obviously, if you're in the customs union, you can't do that. You're bound to the deals which the EU makes. So I do think definitely leaving the customs union is going to be a real issue. I think we probably are going to leave it uh, because I do not see it as as you can make a case for Brexit, to be honest, without it, mm. in terms of a positive future. Uh, single market, again. You Although know, they say it could be temporary when the customs union, well, this sort of staying in the customs union, that's what Philip Hammond seems to think, you know, leader of the sensibles, as George Osborne <laughs> calls him. I mean, how long do you think this Brexit malarkey is going to go on? Oh, it's going to go on for, it's going to, there's going to be a transition period because nothing's, in, these two, in this two year period, you're never ever going to solve the issues, but also because the EU like playing the game where at the end of the negotiations they suddenly go, oh, actually, mm. here's some more conditions you want to flood in here, you know, literally at the last minute. Mm. Um, 
there's going to be a transitional period. It's probably going to go on for several years. In that time, we'll slowly move towards something. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen in three, four, five years' time. Perhaps there will be a massive mood change in the public and everyone's like, oh, actually, maybe Brexit's not a good idea. Um, so, to be honest, it's completely up in the air. Mm. Um, but in terms of, at the moment, customs union single market, I think the case will be to go out of both because I do not see how you can make really a positive Brexit case with either of them. Oh, that's very interesting to know. In that case, I mean, I'm sure the Brexit case will develop over the coming years. But in the meantime, sort of, you know, I, I just want to say thank you so much for sparing the time, Rob. Um, oh, my and, pleasure, Ace. You know, sort of, uh, I, I can say, listeners, that we will be talking shortly to Shadow Secretary of State for Defence, Nia Griffith. And, but we'll be speaking to her, though, after this short break. Fubar Radio presents Sarah Love and My Stiggy. Who are we speaking to right now? I go by the name of Dre Scuffs. So, what would you go home with telling people about the UK and hip hop in the UK? Nothing but great things, just like I did before. Like I, I have a like, I have a big respect for UK, London, the artistry here. Like even the the event that we went to last night at the Looking Glass, it was like more of a neo soul type vibe. And the type of artist I am, I can, I'm like in the middle between hard hip hop and Neo Soul so I could relate to both. Every Monday, Sarah Love and my Stiggy. From 4pm, FUBAR Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to uh, FUBAR, well, politics on FUBAR even. And, and I am Asa Bennett and it is my pleasure then to welcome Nia Griffith, uh, the Shadow Secretary of State for Defence and Labour's MP for Lanelli. Hello. Hello there. Um, now, congratulations, by the way, on uh, being re-elected to your constituency. Was it, you know, was it a sort of thumping easy victory? It wasn't a nail-biter, was it? No, no, no. I was very, very privileged to have an increased majority. Hmm. Um, and I think what has been really exciting has been the number of people who perhaps got involved for the first time. I think it's been great. No, I mean, do you so think that, uh, were there many young voters coming up to you in the constituency, sort of, uh, you know, really enthused about Corbyn's Labour? Well, well, certainly, I think there are two really important things here. I think the number of young people taking part is absolutely fantastically important for our democracy. Um, it is really, really, really exciting that uh, so many younger people are now thinking, yes, it really does matter. We can change decisions. We can actually have an influence on the world. That's really great. And, of course, we were very honoured that so many of them did turn to us. Mm. I think that's because, obviously, Corbyn inspired them. I think it's also because we had a manifesto which they could see plainly actually addressed young people, which is more than some of the other parties did. But it's interesting that because... Um Obviously, I'm sure you monitored the the movement of the polls during the campaign, and it started with the Conservatives almost so far ahead of Labour, it was ridiculous. And, you know, various people saying, oh, maybe it's dodgy numbers or something. And then it narrowed very sharply. I mean, would you say that this, you know, effective destruction of the Conservative lead, was that due to Corbyn being inspiring or the Tories just being repellent? I think, I think it was both. I think when you actually put them side by side, you could see that Jeremy Corbyn was prepared to debate, to answer questions, to interact with the public, always calm and reasoned and explaining things. And we had you know, Theresa May, quite frankly, making a fool of herself, over, um, overconfident, far too overconfident, and the British public don't like that, arrogant, opportunistic, and then falling apart when people tried to ask her questions, and then being sheltered um, by her advisers, etc., 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 and hurry off here there and everywhere hmm. with no opportunity for, for reporters even to you know to get a comment from her but then I, and I, I then Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, no. Oh, but okay. I was just curious, because obviously recently then you, you were quoted, um, I think on BBC Radio Wales, as saying that actually, Theresa May, you know, it's, it's just too embarrassing that she should just clear off and let you guys have a go. Is that, is that, do you still think that? 
Well, the real difficulty is the numbers, of course. Uh, the numbers don't stack up very well for us at the moment. But what we are saying is that if the largest party, i.e. the Conservative Party, cannot um, get themselves together to uh, run the country, then quite clearly we are waiting and ready um, because we do have big decisions to make. We do have Brexit negotiations to get on with. Hmm. And we are very clearly um, you know, taking a very responsible attitude. But then if Theresa May that. can't get it together, she'll just govern shortly in a minority and then she'll have to try and appeal to Labour and see if she can impress you all. And, you know, surely that's the way to go. She doesn't have to sort of call a general election and uh, cause even more uncertainty, surely? No, no, she doesn't. I think what will certainly happen, of course, is that it will be an opportunity for us to influence the agenda, for us to push some amendments, for us to push her back on some of the um, the policies that she might want to put forward, um, because we actually stand for you know, government for the many. We have policies which are popular with people because we think it matters that we have a more equal society. Mm, but then, because um, obviously you were quoted on BBC Radio Wales as saying that you know Labour, it, it's about being ready for government in a sense and so do you feel Labour is ready for government as it stands the team you are now on it, it's you know govern it's fit to govern well absolutely I think if you asked what is in the Queen's speech next week and you tried to think what is going to be there from the Conservative side people would have difficulty in saying if you said to us well what would a Labour um, Queen's speech have the public can quote because they know what was in our manifesto. They know we stood for getting rid of student fees. They know we stood for a proper um, £10 an hour living wage for everybody from the age of 18. They know that we were not going to add anything to people's income tax except for those earning over 80000 as an individual. Although you were 60 seats short of a majority, it was basically comparable to Gordon Brown in 2010 and no one would pretend that he won. Well, I think the point was we came from a very, very low base. Hmm. Um, and I think we certainly surprised a lot of the pollsters by where we managed to get to. But you're absolutely right. We have another another step to go um, in order to be in government. Is Jeremy Corbyn the man to do that, to take that next step, though? Well, I think very much so. I think he's shown that he can do things up to date. I think he's surprised everybody. And I think he shows a resilience. Um, but then can I ask, what, really why, what you need. why last year did you say Jeremy has lost the confidence of the party, including many members who initially supported him, and he should now do the honourable thing and resign? Because at the time, things were not going terribly well. Things were a bit chaotic. I think he's learnt a lot of lessons from then, um, as we saw firstly in his campaign to get re-elected last year. And there have been improvements during this year as well. And I think he really so came So you're glad he ignored you and many of your colleagues. Three quarters of your MPs wanted him to resign. You're actually relieved then that he ignored you all and stayed, stayed straight. Well, as I say, he's, he's, he's really proved himself. I think that's the, the point. The proof is in actual electoral figures. It's not in some imaginary um, guesswork. This is actual, you know, votes on the table. But if we could focus on policies, perhaps. I mean, it, it, it did emerge during the campaign that you did have differences with colleagues of yours, like Emily Thornberry and Jeremy Corbyn, on Trident and NATO. You were quoted as being absolutely furious about his antipathy towards NATO. I mean, have you resolved things? Have you buried the hatchet? Well, I think if you listen to his Andrew Neil um, interview, and then I spoke on any questions, and I can tell you that, you know, we were absolutely in the same place. I mean, Jeremy is always very reasoned about these things. He wants to make it absolutely So you weren't clear. absolutely furious with him, with his comments on NATO then? Well, as, I, as I've said, I think if you, if you listen very carefully to what he did actually say to Andrew Neil in that interview, he explained very clearly uh, what our manifesto position is. We had an but what did you manifesto. think? Well, as I said, I, we have had a very clear position on 
um, Trident being in the manifesto, and Jeremy has accepted that, and Jeremy explained that very clearly on the Andrew Neil show. Now, there have been no, there have been discussions before on the issue of NATO, and people have been trying to find slight differences between us. But I can assure you that you know we're very clear that we are supporting NATO. I say that, Emily says that, and Jeremy says that. But then, why did you have to re- well, to put it one way, rebuke um, Emily, saying that uh, when she tried to suggest that Trident could be scrapped, and you, you had a reminder that Labour remains committed to Trident. I was just pointing out that we had said very clearly that any review that we have post-election was not um, to be reconsidering Trident because that's an affirmed party position. And, and she fully accepted. She fully accepted that, you know, perhaps because she was tired, perhaps because you know, the interview had, had, had gone on to an area which perhaps she wasn't, um, you know, totally up to speed on, mm. that, you know, it had been perhaps misinterpreted. And uh, she fully accepted that, and uh, you know, we and we certainly you know made up straight away afterwards. Because then, obviously, it seems over the last year, and I, I'm sure you will remember the Labour conference where sort of Jeremy Corbyn and did still quote from the, the from the platform that he didn't agree with Trident anymore. I mean, sorry, he didn't want to have Trident anymore. Um, and obviously, I know about you would say, well, yes, differences of views and all that. But isn't it sort of a bit embarrassing to have the leader disagreeing with party policy repeatedly and undermining how seriously they can be taken on defence? Well, I think the point is that we do have a party policy and Jeremy was fully signed up to that in the manifesto. Mm. And so that's the important thing, that that was what was in our manifesto. And I have to tell you that we had the most fantastic meeting on our manifesto. We had an all-day meeting with all of the shadow cabinets, all of the NEC members, terrific representation from across the party, went through chapter by chapter, and believe you me, there was terrific unanimity on the whole of that manifesto. There's a lot more than can be said for the Conservatives, where two or three people were cobbling together two or three pages in, in, a, in a room in secret. Mm, and okay, and so then, um, obviously, uh, how, how, how optimistic are you feeling about this sort of next few months for Labour? Do you think, is it a strategy, to put it one way, you're just going to sit tight and hope that, and pray that the Tories collapse? I think the important thing is that the, the, the country needs government and we're going to be a responsible opposition. We're going to make sure that where there are things that we can agree on, where there are things that we want to progress, particularly, for example, on the Brexit talks, hmm. these things go forward. Because, you know, an opposition can be supportive as well as opposing. I think we must remember that. Often the news is made by the, the, the differences rather than the times when we stick together and we put through important legislation, whether it's on the country's security, whether it's on Brexit or whatever, Hmm. where there is common ground. I mean, when you talk about common ground, can I just take you up on one final point, which is, um, I'm sure you've seen Michael Gove uh, has said that he wants to pursue Brexit in the government with, you know, greatest possible consensus. And so this idea of, you know, cross-party Brexit commission talks uh, has, you know, gained steam. Now, I know this isn't specifically your brief, um, but, you know, you'd understand exactly the Labour thinking in a way, nonetheless. Do you think that you personally, or at least Labour, would be open to these Brexit talks, to sitting on it? And if so, who do you think should be representing Labour on those sort of Brexit commission? Well, I think first and foremost, the government of the country has to deal with Brexit. Now, if Theresa May is going to form a government, it has to be her party Mm. that actually takes forward those negotiations. However, I do think that she needs to have the backing of Parliament behind her. And in order to get that backing, she will have to go for a much softer Brexit, as we would call it. In other words, we want to protect jobs, we want to protect the economy, and therefore we want to have good access to the single market. So what we'll be asking her and her negotiating team to do would be quite clearly to go on that sort of basis, which will get much better consensus across 
all parts of the, the, the House of Commons, I think, mm. rather than a very harsh Brexit, which would appeal perhaps to a small segment of her own party. So your key message to her, in short, if she was listening now, is if she was willing to moderate Brexit, Labour would be happy to support her on the way. Well, we have voted to trigger Article 50. So you know, we quite clearly accept the view of the people from last year. People last year said they didn't want an ever closer union, which is the way they saw the EU going. But what they do clearly want is they want to keep jobs and they want to have a strong economy. And in order to do that, we have to have the best rapport we can get with our neighbours in Europe and obviously in particular with the single market. All right. Well, in that case, uh, thank you very much for your time, Nia. Pleasure. And that was uh, Nia Griffith, the Shadow Secretary of State for Defence. Um, if you've been sort of interested by all these things, you want to sort of react, comment, or say anything that's on your mind, please do. Tweet at FUBAR Radio or email politics at FUBARRadio.com. Coming up next is our studio debate on the general election and the new Tory DUP sort of coalition arrangement partnership. You call it what you like. So we'll be joined in the studio by Rosie Spinks, journalist for Vice and The Guardian, John Elledge, editor of City Metric, and later on the phone, Josh, well, at the same time, actually, on the phone, Josh Jackman, a, p- a reporter from Pink News. And we'll be answering the question, how much did the youth vote really count in the election? And to what extent will future policy be influenced by this younger electorate? But first, let's listen to our analysis of last week's young voter turnout. A surge in voter turnout among 18 to 24-year-olds has been seen as one of the biggest reasons behind the decimation of the Conservative Party and Theresa May, increasing the support for the Labour Party and the Socialist policies. Between 66 and 72% of young people voted in this general election. This number is significantly higher than the 43% of voters in the same age group in the 2015 general election. In comparison, 50% of voters in the same age group voted in America's 2016 presidential election. Jeremy Corbyn, on his return to the House of Commons following last week's general election, noted that young people took part in the general election because they wanted to see things done differently. It is vital for our democracy that all voices are heard and represented. We can be the voice for change in our society because more people, particularly young people, than ever before took part in this recent general election. They took part because they wanted to see things done differently in our society. They wanted our parliament to represent them and deliver change for them. And I am looking forward to this parliament like no other parliament ever before to challenge and hopefully bring about that change. With the popularity of the far-left populist presidential candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon in France and Democrats presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn is now seen as an advocate for young voters in the Western society. When Theresa May called for the snap election back in April, there was a surge with over 55,000 voters under 25 signing up on the first day after the election was called. According to The Guardian, voters aged 18 to 34 were convinced by Labour's commitment to the NHS, education, welfare and a softer Brexit. But how much did the youth vote really count in the election? And to what extent will the future policy be influenced by the younger electorate? How much 
How much will the uh, youth vote be sort of influenced by this new democratically engaged electorate that's, you know, come alive, thanks to Jeremy Corbyn, it seems. Well, with me to discuss this, I have John Ellidge, editor of City Metric, uh, who's just basically a wing of the new statesman, focused on, you know, inner cities, planning and all the rest, and sort of trains and so much more. Love like, a train. Crudely summarised. I know, mm. trains are great. Now, nonetheless, Rosie Spinks of, you know, Vice Guardian and sort of, you know, a lady of many interests, nonetheless. Welcome yes. to have you. Good to have you here. Thank you for having and me. And finally, on the line, Josh Jackman, a reporter from Pink News, uh, an online platform that covers news for the LGBT community. Hello. Hi, great to be here. Now, so, everyone, how are we thinking after this? The sort of pundits were being very excited about, uh, you know, the idea of a youth quake, pardon my sort of cliches. Um, You know, John, do you think, you know, sort of for, I remember the New New Statesman, you were mobbed by audiences, uh, well, sorry, Jeremy Corbyn fans even, wanting 30 pages of coverage of Jeremy Corbyn. You'd be nicer to him. Be, you know, do more. Mobbed was probably an extreme uh, way of putting it. There was about 20 of these guys outside. Do you think it was the start of a revolution, though? I I tried to buy these guys off with cookies. They they didn't want the cookies. They were capitalist cookies. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, no, I, I personally called this very, very wrongly. I didn't think this surge was going to happen, and, you know, I got that wrong. I, I think we can overstate it. I don't think Labour did so well purely on the basis of, of 18 to 24-year-olds turning out, because if you look at the, the demographics we have, it was clear that, you know, people well into their 40s were still more likely to vote Labour than Tories. Mm. And there's, there's obviously all sorts of different reasons for that, which we'll no doubt get into. But nonetheless, I think the sense of, forgive the pun, momentum behind Jeremy Corbyn uh, very much was because he did manage to energise the, the, the youth vote and get people to turn out for a, a, a leader in a way they haven't for some time. Mm. And then, so, Rosie, do, do you agree with this? I mean, why were the Conservatives not uh, so exciting for, for the young'uns? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, for better or worse, we really are living in this age of authenticity. I mean, Donald Trump may be a, you know, he may have narcissistic personality disorder, but he's nothing if not authentic. Hmm. And Theresa May... Do young people like Donald Trump, though? No, but I, I do think that authenticity is something that resonates with young people. Um, you know, Theresa May, by definition, is not authentic. She didn't back Brexit, and then she became PM, and she very much does now. Hmm. And I think Jeremy Corbyn, you know, his popularity has sort of gone through these surges and gone gotten very low at points because he's authentic. And he was very uncool and he, until he became very cool very quickly. And I, I really think the sort of memification of the campaign helped with that and, and really hmm. obviously engaged young people where they are. Mm, and then, Josh, is, is Jeremy Corbyn cool? <laughs> uh, Jeremy Corbyn is cool now. I think going off what, what Rosie was saying, um, Corbyn became cool on social media, uh, which, of course, is such a driver of enthusiasm in young voters because he put his face out there, because his issues uh, struck a nerve with young people and because young people actually heard what he was saying, unlike Theresa May, who kind of you know, she shied away from the limelight. She didn't engage in the debates, mm. uh, and she didn't put her her views out there for young people to get excited about. But, but it's always sort of difficult for politicians trying to appeal to young people because, oh, you know, so Corbyn didn't really go out of his way in a sense to try and woo them. Obviously, people always sort of splice up demographics and try and appeal to. I mean, how did he really do it then? Could just by being himself, apparently. I think his issues. Um, is what was key. Um, his uh, his talking points were always about uh, inequality. Uh, I mean, conservatives would say he's just for offering them free money by offering to scrap tuition fees. That was just, you know, basically bribing them. Can I respond yeah, to that? So you can admit it, don't okay. worry. Uh, no one really understands, um, frankly, uh, how the government uh, funds its projects. Young people care more about intention, and Corbyn's intention was clearly to reduce inequality, and mm. that, that hit a nerve. 
Okay, well then, John, uh, go on. What were we going to say? I, I've heard this line a number of times from, from people, including uh, the, the, the Conservative MEP and all-round loathsome human being Daniel Hannan, uh, that the only reason that, that Labour got so many votes is because they're offering people free stuff. And it was, you know, a generous manifesto in its way. It was very much pushing back against the idea of the small state. It was socially democratic rather than sort of accepting the Thatcher settlement. Hmm. But this idea that that in some way the Labour manifesto crossed the line by, by basically trying to buy votes through better public services or whatever is a nonsense. We, we've had decades of manifestos from every party trying to buy the votes of older people because there's a lot of them and they vote. Hmm. The idea that suddenly it's, it's a, a qualitatively different thing when you do it with a manifesto that is offering things to people from across the age ranges and making sure there is a reason to get out and vote for young people rather than just for old people who are a house hmm. i mean I, I i find that genuinely quite anger making because it's it just implies that you know bribing old people is fine but young people should just kind of like it or lump it because hmm. there was a reaction when uh, there's a social care u-turn from the tories in which they said oh what are you doing you're punching your core constituency in the face you know you know sort of they, should, yeah, they need like, money it's <laughs> the nature of politics that you know you 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 offer a package that it gets your voters out to vote now i think what labor did right this time was kind of they made sure there was something in there for everyone and mm. you can have an argument about the deficit or whatever, but you know there were reasons to vote for that manifesto. Whereas the Tory manifesto was basically just a list of horrible things they were planning to do to the electorate once they got the hundred seat majority they were expecting. They were going to no f- wonder it. No I mean, wanted I mean, to I'm, vote for. I'm them. trying to think of the most kind of populist, you know, thing that may have been attractive for young people or something. And I'm struggling with the Conservative manifesto. It's sort of capping energy prices. There, mean, there was a brief attempt on behalf on, on the part of some newspapers to pretend that millennials were a thing and that there mm. was a lot of very young. Um, Oddly enough, mostly conservative activists, I think, who are all excited about Theresa May. But no, but there was no wishful thinking. I think. Yeah. yeah, have you met a millennial there. yet? <laughs> I, indeed, I I have not. Oh, why, why, why not? Do you think they're just uh, the young people just really cannot like the men? Well, I just think they're speaking a different language. I yeah. think the 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 best tweet I saw recently was millennials are ruining neoliberalism, and I think that <laughs> I think that the conservative party um, are talking about a set of social and economic conditions that millennials just don't believe in anymore, and we've seen the effects of that through the financial crisis and the job market we entered in its wake, and this idea that we're all consumers, not citizens, and growth is great under, you know, no matter what, is just not something we believe. And I think Brexit serving as a wake-up call was one factor um, for, you know, young people who didn't vote and didn't get the result they want. And then, uh, you know, the the manifesto of the Labour Party did speak to millennials, and it wasn't just about growth. And um, I think, that, you know, the, the Conservative Party didn't even consider uh, that generation. Interesting. Because then um, I w- I'd like to sort of consider particularly the question of now we know that young people, they, they can bite. They can sort of when the Tory MPs sit there going, oh, they won't get off their fat asses and vote sort of thing as they were briefing to various supporters. They vote. Mm-hmm. They, they can get wound up and do this. And it's just what happens now that we know that they can vote? Uh, you know, how politicians behave. I mean, Josh, as a you know, reporter for Pink News, I'm sure you've seen how you know, politicians would really, really be sort of cringe making how they're trying to appeal to the LGBT community. And I remember Zach Goldsmith he at one uh, point tried yeah. to describe himself I think as pansexual and then yeah. didn't know what that meant or again something. wishful thinking yeah. 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 Pans. I mean, yeah, he, he certainly didn't exactly know what that meant um, and it mm. it meant uh, a lot of hilarity for us I mean do you but, think there'll uh, be similar sort of awfulness to come in a sense you know Theresa May saying I am woke or what do you know I don't know oh uh, uh, it's, it's all possible the Conservatives I'm sure will try everything to claim back 
uh, more of the demographic of young people. But I think the one thing they've got to focus on, um, if they're not already, is providing a message of hope Mm. and some sort of inspiring policy. Um, Because at the moment, they're just, uh, as we touched on before, they're just providing a message of doom and gloom and Brexit's going to be terrible, but vote for us anyway. Hmm. I mean, do you think it's ever possible for a right-winger to offer hope to, to young people in that sense? I mean, can you think of anyone? 100%. In yeah. if, um, if, if what they're providing is, uh, is a good plan for the economy that's still fair, yes. um, I think uh, the message that uh, they could provide a strong and stable government uh, and that would somehow result uh, in better it policy. It became a meme, though. Hashtag strong and stable. That's, oh, yeah, that's but, what not the a, kids but not like. a positive meme. No, indeed. No, 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 um, one of my favourite memes, still. No, indeed. I mean, though, John, I mean, how, how would the Conservatives... Are they just completely lost now to young people? or What's, what's their strategy, do you think? Get Dan Hannan out. Get Zach Goldsmith. There you go. Yeah, the kids love Dan Hannan. Uh, I, I think the one big... This, this, uh, to an extent here, I'm being the guy who kind of sees his, his pet policy area everywhere he looks. But mm. I think the one big thing the Conservative Party could do will be to take a leaf out of the, the Harold Macmillan playbook and get building houses. Mm. Because one of the big things that has changed in the last generation is it's that much harder to get kind of a stable middle class life because you can't get on the housing ladder. We have one half of the country where there is affordable housing and one half of the country where there are good graduate jobs and there are very few places where you can get mm. both. Because I remember you've been writing before the election about how this is almost a vicious cycle for young people in the sense of, you know, they're now being told accept austerity, you know, straighten years of uh, like and also you're not going to get the house now we're not going to try very hard it's, it was it's a, like, yeah it's, why would these guys come out and vote Tory when all they're being offered this kind of endless struggle with ni- no no sort of uh, light at the end of the tunnel hmm. like there does kind of need to be some kind of offer to get people and also like it's in the Conservative Party's own interests is that you know people who own homes are much more likely to vote Conservative hmm. and because they've let that slide and they're on their watch like the percentage of the population that's, that owns their own home has fallen by something about 8 points or something hmm. and the, num- the, the percentage in the, in the 30s has basically collapsed what's happened is that they're kind of delaying people having kids they're delaying family formation and they're delaying people developing an interest in garden centres Volvos and voting Conservative <laughs> Mm. They've I, only got themselves to blame. Well, I can understand. I mean, this, oh, sorry, were you going to come in there, Josh? Sorry, I was just going to say this is the thing. Absolutely, as John said, Labour doesn't have uh, a monopoly on these kind of policies, and it's not. It wouldn't be socialism for the Tories to say, "Hey, we can provide you with uh, good education and then good housing and then good healthcare." Mm. That's that's all people really want. But it's interesting, actually, demographically, because um, YouGov carried out a survey suggesting that, well, you know, sort of the, the, the main as a group that really like the Conservatives are retired people, which sort of, if you think about the age bracket that would be, that suggests that the Conservative voters are dying faster than they can be replaced, in a sense. They're sort of, I mean... P- particularly since we're never going to get to retire our generation, are we? So, <laughs> you know, they really it's haven't thought this one Disappear the into party, the yeah. nether distance of this race. Although, Rosie, one thing that sort of strikes me with this is... Um, you know, so people think how to appeal to young people. It's curious. You, Bernie Sanders, he, mm. the young people adored him, yet he is a, a man of veteran years. Jeremy Corbyn, ditto, a sort of a fellow, sort of a bearded elder statesman, you might argue, in yeah. a sense. Um, why are then apparently old people so good at appealing to young people? 
That's a good question. Um, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Both Corbyn and uh, Sanders are, they have stuck to their guns and they have, you know, at times their guns have been very unpopular. Um, I think what the Labor Party would, would be served well by right now is to learn from one of the failings of the Obama administration, which was, you know, they amassed this incredible grassroots base of activists and voters and fundraisers. And then he got elected and they did nothing. Hmm. You know, they did the, the most they did was send a couple of emails here and there. Um, I think the Labor Party, you know, now as a robust opposition party, needs to be asking its supporters to campaign on issues in the same way it asked them to campaign for Jeremy Corbyn. And one thing I want to add, um, uh, last uh, Thursday, I sort of wasn't allowing myself to be very optimistic, but had a uh, had a good feeling when I saw a homemade sticker on a bus stop um, that was the was Corbyn's name in the Run DMC logo. And I thought, hmm... This, uh, maybe there is some momentum happening right here because no one's paying anyone to do that. Because he was on the front page of Kerrang! And, you know, we're really sort of striking it and out. And the grime scene was, was back in Corbin. Grime for Corbin, I mean, exactly. It was kind of amazing. Isn't, he? isn't that today's news? On the pyramid stage. Yeah. 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 There was also a breakdown of his best looks on Vogue, which I particularly enjoyed. <laughs> Get the Jezza look in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I, I sadly, it pains me to say this. I, I do have to sort of wind this conversation to a close at some point. But I thought for a final question, I'd just like to sort of you know, ask you all, you know, for one thing here. Given we accept that, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is so popular among young people, it almost seems, you know, that like the Tories have no hope, really. I've had to try and chink away at this advantage. I mean, how, well, who, in a sense, do you think would have to take over for the Conservatives to then really win young people back? I mean, Josh, who do you think? Oof. I'd, um, I'd say Jacob rees Clearly, <laughs> um, he's the man to take Britain back to the 19th century, and you know, the young people will understand what they're going. The, the young fogies will adore it. Uh, well, it, it was fun to see uh, George Osborne tweeting. Um, of course, he's Evening Standard editor now, but um, mm. tweeting uh, some hashtag fire tweets um, after <laughs> the election. Um, but barring him, I, I really don't see anyone in the cabinet at the moment who can get young people excited about politics. Oh, um, well, that's it. I mean, is there someone like coming up on the wayside? I mean, look, my, my pet project here, Zach Goldsmith, bring him back. Make no, him leader. No. Oh, okay, fine. I'll try, I'll try. Even if he was pansexual. <laughs> What about, what about you, John? Who do you think? I think this is misdiagnosing it. I don't think the Tories are ever going to come up with someone who gets the it's kids terminal. excited like yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. What they can do is come out of a package of policies that will appeal to people in their you know, 30s and early 40s, the people that should be voting Tory but aren't because they don't feel they've got decent public services or financial security. Mm. That's how the Tories will, will will regain the advantage. And also, I think it's, you know, three weeks ago, we all thought we were going to have a massive Tory majority. I think it's probably a bit too early to be writing off the Conservative Party's chances, as much oh, as yeah. I'd love to, as much as I'd love to believe they're doomed. I just think probably let's not rush the judgment. Of course. All right, then. So we'll be uh, sort of ca- cautious in our approach. And then, so Rosie, would you have a uh, you know, final point on this? Um, no prediction. I agree. It's a bit too early to say, though. I mean, if someone were to get the leadership that, you know, would provide even a modicum of real talk around Brexit, that would uh, probably help the case. You know, hmm. young people have international friend groups. They're worried about the, you know, status of their future and not to mention their own future. And there's just been absolutely no regard for, for, about that from the Conservative Party thus far.
Oh, that's very interesting. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for your time. Uh, and you've been listening to Rosie Spinks, journalist for Vice, John Elledge, editor of City Metric, and Josh Jackman from Pink News. And, you know, so thank you very much indeed. Uh, so we're coming up next, I'll be speaking to Jared Johnson, a broadcaster and journalist based in the East Midlands. Yes, outside the Islington London bubble. But first, our reporters took to the streets of Islington, where Fubar is based, to ask what the general consensus is, out, uh, is, is about the outcome of the general election. What do you think of the outcome of the general election? Well, it went, I don't think Theresa May done the right thing, to be honest, by, like, having another election. But, obviously, I voted for her to stay in, so I was pleased, with, not very pleased with the outcome, because I thought I was hoping more people would vote, obviously, for her, being as I did vote Brexit, so... Uh, I was disappointed. I was expecting Labour to win, of course, because of their manifesto looking after people lower income, students, children, uh, but um, still they had a good result. I mean, they achieved very good result. 30 seats plus, that's very good. And uh, conservative always looking after rich people more. Uh, as an owner of small business, I was interested on labor winning because they will be looking after small business, not big ones. I know Jeremy personally. I used to run community centres and he's a very close friend of community centres. He was involved in all our activities, demonstrations, supporting our community. I'm a Kurd myself, Kurdish from Iraq, and he was very supportive to all community centres. What do I think about last week's general election? I think Theresa May took it all for granted and that Jeremy Corbyn played an absolute blinder. I'm, uh, I was Tories and in the end I ended up voting Liberal. Um, but I've got to admit, Mr. Corbyn pulled a blinder. Well, I, I was uh, I voted for Labour, so I, I really want that Labour comes in uh, power. And uh, because everyone got fed up with the Conservative, the Brexit wasn't a very good idea, and people voted for Brexit. And uh, people really like Jeremy Corbyn because they're thinking they're going to be think about the people uh, you know who are working, and even the Conservatives they haven't you know. They, got, they haven't got enough seats to just show their, their majority, you know what I mean? But I think a re-election will be a good idea. I, I don't know. I think maybe going forward into Brexit, it might not be a bad thing because it will mean that there needs to be a bit more consultation. But I feel like there was not really a picture painted of what people want and what the parties want for Brexit and what they actually are going to do. It was just hard and soft Brexit, which doesn't really make sense to me. It's a load of crap. Politics is bollocks. Right? No one should have governments. They shouldn't have no governments, nothing. Everyone should just get on with their own thing and do as they're fucking told. What? Why do I have to do what people tell me? Oh, you got to pay this money to me because I told you so. I don't think so somehow. No, I didn't vote. I didn't do nothing. I don't vote because... What, what am I voting for? Either way, whatever Labour or Conservatives I'm voting for, they're going to mug me off anyway. So I shouldn't vote for nothing. What are your thoughts on the Conservative and DUP coalition? Uh, she don't think she has really too much choice if she wants to have a majority, but uh, I think she's choosing the wrong party to do it with, considering their past uh, situations in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's the worst decision. I think it will be a chaos. Because uh, some of their own MPs will not be supporting Theresa May's policy. So there, there will be a chaos, I think. And probably pre-election will happen soon. I don't know. As long as they do the right things for the country, that's all that matters, to be honest with you. But my trouble is with it, they promise you a lot of things and then when they actually get your vote, nothing ever seems to change. Um, We've had a lot of those in Australia. 
um, lots of hung parliaments. Uh, they don't always work very well. It does limit decisions. But I think it was just a horrific backfire, to be honest. It was just one of those situations that they're just going to have to find somebody. And that's who they found. Foobar Radio presents... Foobar Radio presents... Politics on Foobar. Welcome back. Now, joining me on the line is Jared Johnson, a broadcaster and journalist. Hello. Hello. Uh, now, sort of, uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, so, you're based in the East Midlands, so you have a very uh, more fresh perspective from, you know, rather than the SW1 bubble, as people like to say in the cliche. Sort of. So, may I just say, how, how have you been feeling after this election? What's been sort of striking you as uh, Theresa May scrabbles around to stay in government? Well, it, it's a coalition, coalition of chaos, isn't it, at the moment? And it's what she said that w- would occur if Labour got into power. Hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about a, a rise in, in the youth vote, um, which has gone up from, I think, for, uh, around 40% in 2015. Um, and there's been reports of around 72% of a youth turnout in this um, general election. I think the accurate figure is more in the high 50s but it, 57 it, 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 i think you got put it yeah 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 um and, and it's just i sort of expected it and it was for, for the following reasons um i didn't know who would win hmm. and that was partly the reason why i expected a sort of coalition or a hung parliament with, with labor you know, Corbyn is seen by people as a genuine threat to national security, whether you like his, uh, you know, economic policy or, or think he's a nice guy. People, you know, through the mainstream press have seen him as a, a genuine threat but to security. But do you think it was then his victory or do you think it was Labour's victory? I think to an extent, it, 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 you have to give it to Jeremy Corbyn. He did brilliantly during the campaign. Come on, um, you're not on the front bench. You don't have to be polite. No, I, I think I think he did brilliantly. Um, partly the reason for, for him doing so well is that he got out there, spoke to young people, hmm. um, and you know you saw him at that. I think it was in Doncaster when he spoke at that music concert, and that just sort of you know it was a world away from the from what the Conservatives were doing. But I think a large part of that is because the MPs having a go at, Cor- at Jeremy Corbyn when he first got into power. Hmm. Obviously, it was very unsettling at the time for Labour, but it turns out to, to, to have played to his advantage eventually, just because the, if Labour MPs had picked him up when he first got into power, I think people would have been dis- uh, bitterly disappointed by uh, the party's performance, and they'd have gone into this uh, general election quite negatively. Um, but, it, it, you know, for, for them to play him down... You know, they they weren't setting him up for a big fall. You know, he had everything to win, really, and and that's. Well, it I mean, wasn't we have victory. to remember, though, he still lost. He sort of, and, and with this in mind, I mean, I just wanted to ask a particular regional question here. In that, you may have been listening to the Vox Pops uh, just earlier, and um, mm-hmm. very much you'd have obviously had a strong Labour support. But then, obviously, we have to remember we're in Islington, where Corbyn sort of romped home with you know well over forty thousand votes or something absolutely astonishing. Anyway, due to the personal strength of his popularity around here, I mean, how is Labour in the East Midlands? In the East it swept Midlands, the board, did it? Yeah, well, uh, it's still conservative, particularly in Lincolnshire, where um, I went to university and did a lot of 
done a lot of my uh, reporting hmm. uh, and broadcasting. It, it's it's mainly conservative. And, Why do you think um, that is? You know, places like Boston. Well, a high high um, lead vote in the, in the Brexit referendum in Boston, hmm. um, and you know, in places like that. Um, in Lincoln, where I where, which is my old university city. Um, it, there was a, a, a thin majority for the Conservatives. Carl McCartney won in 2010 and in 2015 with a slim majority. But he's gone However, now. most people were ex- he's gone now. Most people expected him to keep his seat just because Lincoln. Um, he was a, a Brexit supporting MP, and Lincoln uh, voted. Uh, quite strongly for Brexit as well. Mm. However, um, we've now got a Labour MP in Lincoln called Karen Lee, and she's a very pro-Corbyn. So, so what? In short, uh, why did that happen? What, what lessons can we draw about this? I, I think the only reason that happened was because of the uh, general election campaign itself. Mm. Theresa May came across awfully, didn't she? And I think the the comment about running through the fields of wheat has, uh, well. although it's quite is trivial. It is trivial. It's but, summed up uh, all they it, had to it, really it, offer. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm it, so sorry to people. have to sort of uh, abridge, cut this short, like a good run through a field of wheat in a sense. But I, nonetheless, I, I'm afraid we have to sort of draw the no, show to a close. But no, thank, thank you so you. much, Jared, for your time and uh, for your perspective and sharing the insights. Thank you. And so, well, um, you know, apologies, apologies for sort of having to uh, get that sort of, um, you know, to get that sort of time in. In a sense, I just thought it was time to share, obviously, you know, a bit of a musical finale. Uh, of course, after exploring the impact of young people in this election and uh, how very much Jeremy Corbyn appealed to the new generation and sort of Theresa May struggled in a sense. And obviously, you might think then the young people now will be, there'll be many Labour voters for the next, many, many years to come and it's going to spread. And my gosh, the long term implications are fascinating. And so with that in mind, I think there's no better tune to play us out than, of course, this from The Who. And goodbye. Thanks for listening, by the way. This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. Go to foobarradio.com for more details. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.